Well, hello, and welcome to the Through the Word podcast, as pastors Chris Mitchell and John Bell seek to answer questions that come from the reading of God's Word, beginning in Genesis all the way through to Revelation. Thank you for joining us. Well, hello, I'm Pastor John Bell. And I'm Pastor Chris Mitchell. And this is the final Through the Word podcast. Mm, wow. Last one. <laughs> and so we, we've read... Through the Bible. Yes, we in have. In one year as our church family together, and mm-hmm. so thankful for that. Uh, maybe you'll end up having some questions that if from our last couple of days of reading. If that is the case, even though this is the last podcast, feel free to send those in to throughtheword22 at gmail.com. We won't respond via podcast, but we'll, we'll send you an email. We'll, we'll try to we'll answer still your try questions. We'll try to answer. That's so, right. <laughs> so send it in. Don't worry about that. It won't be on the podcast, though, because this is the last one. And so, Pastor Chris, are you ready for the first question? Yes. All right. The so, beginning of the end. The beginning of the end. <laughs> Which is, yeah, we're, we're in the end time, so we're in the beginning of the end That's right. altogether. And so our first question is from Hebrews 6, 4 through 6. And so our question is, how does this passage relate to the phrase, once saved, always saved? Well, there are various interpretations among scholars about what's going on here. Okay. So I'll try to talk about a few of those. Some understand the author to be referring to genuine Christians who lose their salvation. All right, So Some, there is that. Sure. Some people do go down that road. But such a reading is in conflict with passages that teach that those whom God has truly saved will persevere in faith to the end. So right. Romans 8 uh, 28 through 30 is a great example of that. So yes. that's one understanding. Some people go down that road. Others okay. interpret the warning as an argument directed against a Judaizing heretical sect. Okay. Uh, followers of a heresy serious enough that embracing it would lead to the loss of all hope of salvation. So mm. that was a very specific situation that, that some scholars say maybe that's what the writer of Hebrews was addressing. Okay. Yet another interpretation holds that the author is describing the apostates of verses 4 through 8 in terms of their profession and okay. the blessings they appeared to share with genuine believers up to the moment of their apostasy. Okay. So although Jesus saves completely and has made perfect forever those who hear his word with faith, the author is exhorting the readers to prove the faith they profess with their perseverance. Right. So some would use... Um, Ananias and Sapphira here. Okay. And say that, that their situation... <laughs> Understandably so, yes. <laughs> right. Um, without faith, proximity to God and the fellowship of his covenant people is no blessing. Okay. Rather, it subjects apostates to a more severe judgment. Hmm. We saw that happen uh, in their situation. Yes, they dropped dead. <laughs> right. I, I tend to lean toward this interpretation that the author of Hebrews is offering a sobering warning okay. to those who take part in the regular preaching and teaching of the word and gospel community, mm-hmm. but fail to repent of their sins and turn to Christ. Mm-hmm. The author calls Christians to self-examination that looks for evidence of the fruit of the Spirit. Yes. So if one drinks from the word and one drinks from the community of believers, but bears no spiritual fruit then that person never belonged to Christ. Hmm. So may this serve as a warning really for all of us to contemplate our obedience and our overall spiritual health. Right. May it it do so. I hope so. Yeah, absolutely. And it's one of those things like the first verse of chapter 6, Therefore let us leave the elementary doctrine of Christ and go on to maturity, 
not laying again a foundation of repentance from dead works and of faith toward God and of instruction about washings. And he goes on, and, and if this we will do, if God permits, for it, if, for it is impossible in the case of those who've once been enlightened, who've tasted the heavenly gift and shared in the Holy Spirit and have tasted the goodness of the word of God and the powers of the age to come. He goes on to say, it's impossible then, verse seven, for the land that's drunk the rain that often falls on it and produces a crop useful to those for whose sake it is cultivated receives a blessing from God. We want people to understand the word of God. Yes. Those who have heard it, those who have walked, they, they've been enlightened, who've right. tasted, like he says here, to, to, to contemplate the word yes. and their obedience to it. And to finish strong. As, right. As we, you know, we, yes. We talked about it even before the podcast. We want to finish strong with the podcast. Always mm-hmm. reminded about finishing strong as we walked around Southeastern's conference. Every one of the mm-hmm. landscapers had it on the back of their shirts. So That's right. You would see it everywhere. And so it's a great reminder for us that we want to finish strong in the faith. Yes. And so somebody that, you know, showed great faith. And we're, so, and we're going to shift to his name here, Melchizedek. <laughs> and so that, you know, is one of the most interesting Yes, he men is. in the Bible. So our, our second question is, who is he? Well, <laughs> Can you answer that question? Melchizedek was a king as well as a priest in Salem. Yes. Salem apparently was an ancient name for Jerusalem. Okay. And so our introduction to Melchizedek happens in Genesis 14, right after Abram rescues Lot. Okay. And so his name means king of righteousness. Right. And this king of righteousness named... Melchizedek recognized God as the creator of heaven and earth. Okay. Which then takes us back to Genesis 1-1. Yes. And Genesis 12-3. And is a reminder that Abram will someday be a blessing not only to Sodom, but to the entire earth. All right. And that's important for us to understand. Remember when he took Abram out there and counted the stars, you know, he's count the stars if you can. Yes. And your offspring is going to be like that. Hmm. And so as God blessed the first human couple... And God bless Noah. So now Melchizedek blesses Abram after Abram risked his life to save others. So recognizing the majesty of this king, Abram offers to him the first tithe ever recorded in the Bible. Now, Psalm 119 alludes to the story of blessing, and we talked about that earlier in our podcast series. I think it was, well, my numbers don't line up with the numbers on here, so I'm not sure which one. Sorry. Okay. But in the 20s, like, my number was 24. Okay. On the paper. All right. But anyway. I'm sure it's in the yeah, 20s. Yeah, it's in yeah. the 20s. That's because right. that's the middle of the Bible. <laughs> <laughs> right. So uh, we, it talks about that there in Psalm right. 110. And then the book of Hebrews reflects extensively on a future priest king who's even greater than Melchizedek, being the Lord Jesus Christ. Absolutely. So Melchizedek is brought up here in Hebrews to demonstrate something about the superiority of Jesus over the old covenant system. Okay. Because under the Mosaic law, no king could lawfully act as a priest, nor could any priest lawfully serve as king. Mm. Melchizedek, however, was both king and priest. Right. So in blessing Abram, Melchizedek was Abram's superior, which he recognizes, Abram recognizes. Right. And as we've mentioned already, that was demonstrated by Abram offering tithes to him. Yes. Now, Melchizedek did not inherit his office from a long line of other priests because God himself established Melchizedek as priest and king. All of this information is given to detail the nature of Melchizedek and his office of priest and king in order to point to something glorious and spectacular about Jesus Christ. Right. So the author of Hebrews 
then in verses 4 through 7 of chapter 7, causes readers to behold the greatness of Melchizedek, to whom Abram gave a tithe. Yes. Now, why would the author of Hebrews want to make such a big deal about this? Well, the text moves to contrast Melchizedek with the Levitical priesthood, okay. which God established at Mount Sinai with the giving of the law. Now, we know the Levitical priests received a tithe from the people as commanded by the law. But, when you, but, but get this, Abram gave Melchizedek a tithe as priest before the establishment of the law. Right. So, I mean, there's this idea of, of this uh, tithing before mm-hmm. the law was even given, tithing to a priest before the law even said that's what you're supposed to do. Yes. Then the text shows in verse 6 that Melchizedek had authority because he blessed Abram. Now, that's interesting because we're talking about Abram. This is the Abram who'd been given the promises of God. Right. Remember, God revealed himself to Abram and chose him to be the father All of many the nations. All the nations will be blessed. Right. And, and then God made his covenant with Abram. And yet here's this Melchizedek guy blessing Abram, who now right. sort of, I mean, you would think Abram would be the superior here because he's been given these amazing promises and told yes. all this stuff. And yet here comes this strange guy named Melchizedek who appears on the scene and Abram pays tribute to him. Right. That's weird. It is. It is, it is weird. And so as a result, Genesis 14 and Hebrews 7 reveal the inferiority of Abram to Melchizedek. Now, the author does this to demonstrate how God always intended for the Levitical priesthood to pass away in exchange for something eternal and glorious. Yes. So Melchizedek predated the giving of the law and somehow lived as Abram's superior. So in a mysterious way that the author of Hebrews continues to unpack, Melchizedek and his office as priest and king anticipated and pointed to Jesus Christ, the eternal priest and the king of kings, all of this, I think, makes a really nice transition to your next question. Right. And so our next question has, is this. In Hebrews 7, 11 through 28, how can Jesus be compared to Melchizedek? Now, our question says, shouldn't this have been the other way around? And I do appreciate what this, what I think this listener meant with yeah. this question. Jesus is the ultimate standard. So right. why would we be comparing him to an earthly figure? Uh, the author of Hebrews wasn't trying to diminish Jesus' authority by this comparison. No. Here's what I think is going on. The author of Hebrews wants to point to the insufficiency of the Levitical priesthood. Okay. Had the priest been perfect and able to work perfect atonement, why would another need to come in the order of Melchizedek? You know, the Levitical right. line longed for a day when it would give way to a greater, more lasting priesthood. It needed to pass away because it could not produce true salvation. If it had been sufficient, then all the Old Testament promises that pointed to the coming Messiah were unnecessary. Hmm. The people of God needed a priest forever after the order of Melchizedek, meaning a priest that combined both priest and king, roles like Melchizedek did. Well, Jesus alone fulfilled that role. So when when the scripture says that and compares the two, it's not placing Jesus as sort of under Melchizedek and saying, look to Melchizedek. It's saying Jesus came like Melchizedek did. He carried these ideas of priest and king, and he was established in those roles by God himself. Yes. Jesus did not descend from the tribe of Levi, but of Judah. Hmm. The tribe of Levi produced the priests, while the tribe of Judah was David's tribe, the tribe of kings. Because of the tribal distinctions, no king could come from Levi and no priest could hail from Judah. Right. 
Jesus, however, in the order of Melchizedek, and yes. as a member of the tribe of Judah, unites in himself the offices of priest and king. Wow. Yeah, it is. And there's so much more. Like that doesn't even really scratch the surface of how beautiful and amazing yeah, Melchizedek I, is. Or it, the, the, what his role is. Right. Not I how mean, he is. but and, and we have this eternal sacrifice that has been offered for us once and for all. So there's right. our, our priest and it was offered by our king who yes. is our ruler once and for all who we get to be his heirs with. And so right. looking forward to that. <laughs> Hallelujah. <laughs> yes, absolutely. And so, and our next question has to do with a, a sin that does not lead to death. So this is very confusing to, to think mm-hmm. through, a sin that does not lead to death. And so that's what our question asks. And so it's from 1 John 5, 16 and 17. We find that interesting statement about a sin that does not lead to death. So what is John talking about? This is definitely one of those passages where I wish we had the key to right. John's mind that we can unlock what he's thinking here. Now, again, various interpretations abound. One of those interpretations says John is not referring to physical death. Okay. Since in context, John is making a contrast about spiritual life. Okay. So that's one. One person goes there. All right. John is clear that a believer cannot forfeit salvation. A believer can sin. Yes. But cannot perish in sin since the Spirit remains in them. Mm. Christians have eternal life and know it. So those who commit a sin that leads to death are those who went out. In other words, those who left the church. They were people known in the congregation, but who left and denied Jesus as the Son of God. Yes. So in regards to our first question. Right. Exactly. Yes. Yes. Sin has consequences. And those who deny Jesus as God in the flesh and disregard his atoning death for salvation can only and justly expect the result to be eternal death. Right. Now, another interpretation says that the sin that leads to death is a reference to some sin committed by a Christian that leads to physical death as a result of God's discipline. Okay. Um, Another interpretation says John is most likely not talking about a specific sin, but has to do with ongoing willful sin that remains unconfessed to the point that God takes drastic action. Mm. Uh, John's desire is that we not focus on the specifics of the sin that leads to death, right. but rather focus on the notion of sin not leading to death. Okay. Here in chapter 5, John is specifically calling his readers to pray for wayward believers. Yes. You know, and God desires to forgive sins, and he desires intercessors to pray for Christians when they sin. Mm-hmm. And so Absolutely. when we sin, we need people who will pray for us. Yes, we do. <laughs> And I'm thankful for them. And yes. Who I'm, love us enough to right. do that. And, and we should do the same for others. Right. And, and that is something that, that we're going to end on right here. Yeah. That was, our, <laughs> that was our last question for 2022 and going through the word together. But thank you guys for joining in yes, and listening. Thank you. And I hope you have a happy and blessed new year. Yes. And, and pick up a new copy of, of the word. Pastor John, you were talking about how your professor, I think it's, is it Dr. Lawless? Dr. Lawless. Yeah, tell, Lawless. The, tell them about that because, I mean, this would be a great way to sort of end so and, and begin. Every year he would get a copy of God's Word, mm-hmm. and then he would go through it, and he would use have a handful of highlighters. And so he would highlight, you know, is, is this a command to obey? Is this something to avoid? Is this something that to apply? And he would highlight that with a different color, mm-hmm. you know, and, and so and you open up his Bible, it's just a whole... But, I mean, just, he has a Bible for... 
from this past year, probably, and, and the year before. And then he gives and then that he... Bible to someone yeah. after mm-hmm. he finishes the year. And so it's a great, a great way to, to do that. Yeah, yeah. It's a good idea. So here we go. We're starting a new year, new opportunity to, to read through it again. You'll never exhaust yes. the treasures that are in it. Right. So read God's Word. Yes. <laughs> God bless you. God bless you. Bye-bye. Thank you for joining us today on the Through the Word podcast. If you have any questions for us, please send those in to throughtheword22 at gmail.com. That's throughtheword and the number 22 at gmail.com. God bless you. Have a great day.